This is Unfilter, episode 276 for April 11th, 2018. In the past few minutes, President Trump sent Russia a strong warning as he plans a possible missile attack on Syria. The president tweeted, Russia vows to shoot down any and all missiles fired at Syria. Get ready, Russia, because they will be coming nice and new and smart. You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills his people and enjoys it. As we navigate ourselves into this year's tax season, at least for those in the United States, and you're adding up your numbers, one thing you might want to do is take this podcast, put it on the background, and listen to our friendly voices, because it's time once again for Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase. There's Chris. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. So so it is tax season. So by the time- We'll get everybody through it. We'll, we'll get, get everybody to with them. It. We've, uh, you know, we, we are giving our money to the to the government because you know we're they're being responsible with every penny that we we give them. Um, <laughs> you're so bitter. You're so bitter now. Are you? you haven't uh, even hit your forties, and you're so bitter. <laughs> I'm, I'm close. Uh, you all done? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I am. Yeah. Same, yeah, yep. same here. Yep. Same here. Yeah. Although no, no thanks to me. Angela handles all that stuff. Oh. Well. So I nice. Whew, I tell you, that's not my. Not what I call my strong area. Mr. Chase, Yes, we have so much show coming up this week. As you what? know, if you've listened to any of the news this week. I thought there's nothing going on. There's quite a bit going on. Oh, yes, We're going to start out, um, and apologies if this is hard for you, because it is for me, with some of the Facebook hearing in our cyber segment. There is so much more that's going on that is more important than this Facebook stuff, so we will be getting to it this week, as our intro suggests. Yeah. But we're going to start out in the cyber segment. ASL. With some Zuck stuff. Uh, because, uh, you know, I've, I've thought all week about avoiding this story. In fact, I was, even last night, I was still kind of on the fence. I was talking to my lady, Hadia, and I'm like, there's been, there has probably not been a, a story where I have cared less. I don't, <laughs> I don't like Facebook. I don't care what happens to Facebook. I don't care if social media companies get regulated into the ground. I don't really care. Um, but... I am seeing a crack that shows this is going to be a bigger thing than Facebook. Like the dam is cracking and I think other companies are about to be thrown in along with this whole thing. And it's going to become a much bigger technology issue. The revelations over Facebook is kicking off a lot of discussion over what other companies are doing with our data. And some advocacy groups are now criticizing YouTube. They say the site is illegally collecting data about underage viewers Uh-oh. and they have filed a complaint with U.S. officials. YouTube says kids under 13 can't sign up for its service, but research shows some 45% of kids between the ages of 8 and 12 have their own account. Our tech and business correspondent Samuel Burke joins us now with more on the story. And Samuel, what? And that that's, means, that that's means because have, pres, uh, their parents or yeah. guardians yeah. Are, are doing it. Yeah, and that means they have Google accounts is what that means. Yeah. So Google, that may be a warning shot to Google. <laughs> uh, CBS News has one of my favorite takes on Mark Zuckerberg's testimony. So there was two days. It just wrapped up a little bit ago uh, today, and it also was going on all day yesterday. So this is uh, CBS's morning broadcast from earlier today. A House committee will question Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg in Washington later this morning. He testified for nearly five hours yesterday at a joint Senate committee hearing. 
Zuckerberg was asked about privacy protection, Russian interference in the last election, and whether Facebook should be regulated as a content provider. I agree that we're responsible for the content, but we don't produce the content. I, I think that when people ask us if we're a media company or a publisher, my understanding of what the heart of what they're really getting at is do we feel a responsibility for the content on our platform? The answer to that, I think, is clearly yes. And, but I don't think that that's incompatible with fundamentally at, at our core being a technology company where the main thing that we do is have engineers and build products. So I, I watched both days. Uh, I didn't watch day two as much. Um, but day one was a very nervous Mark Zuckerberg who came across as extremely yeah. prepped. Yeah, totally. Senator, senator, senator. And it also came across as the senators were really underprepared. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel had a great bit on it last night on his show about how it was essentially them asking Mark Zuckerberg for tech support over yeah. and over again. <laughs> I got a couple of highlights, so so stick with us. But CBS takes an interesting turn on this story that's super aggressive that I didn't see coming. Zuckerberg said failing to detect and stop Russian election interference was one of his, quote, greatest regrets. And he apologized for waiting more than two years. Now, you hear a little tone, right, and apologized in the way he's saying that. Two years. But they really lean into this. To tell millions of Facebook users their information was sold to Cambridge Analytica. Mark Zuckerberg has a long history of public apologies dating back further than Facebook itself. In 2003, <laughs> Zuckerberg apologized in the Harvard Crimson for any harm done after his website FaceMash asked users to rate people's hotness. Three years later, Zuckerberg said Facebook, quote, really messed this one up following user complaints that the newly launched news feed invaded their privacy. Zuckerberg apologized once again in 2007 for an uproar over the company's beacon advertising system, saying, I know we can do better. One month later, he discussed that controversy on 60 Minutes. I guess this shows how difficult it is for a company like yours to make money through advertising and protect people's real privacy and their sense of privacy. You know, it, it's, it might take some work for us to get this exactly right. This is something that we think is going to be a really good thing. Since then, Zuckerberg has apologized at least four more times over Facebook privacy concerns. Did you, you hear them? They're snickering at that picture. Did you hear that? Yeah. They picked a really dorky picture now, of him. To be fair, I actually like the reporting on here because this yeah, is one yeah. of the things that I was thinking about where how many times is he going to say yep. sorry or sorry yep. if you're from Canada um, over this? Because, yeah, he says sorry, and then what happens? Nothing happens. You know what was weird, though, is um, there was very, very comparatively, at least, little questions about Cambridge Analytica and data breach. Yeah. It seemed very much so, especially with the Senate hearing, that they were searching for how to define Facebook, how to define them as uh, either an advertising company, a media platform, a technology company. They're trying to figure out what regulation bucket Facebook should fall into. There was very, 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 very little about Cambridge Analytica. Um, and a lot of the times, Mark just answers, I don't know. If you'd like, I can have my team follow up with you after this. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to have my team follow up with you on more information if that would be helpful. Senator, I have not heard that. Mr. Chairman, I, I will have my team follow up with you on what information we have. Senator, I don't know. Um, I do not know. We can follow up. Okay, do that. I can certainly have my team get back to you on any specifics there that I don't know sitting here today. I, I'm, I'm not, but let me just... Uh, how about moveon.org? Sorry? <laughs> just a lot of that. Uh, the whole day was just a lot of that. 
but there was one moment that I think a lot of people liked, so I want to play that for you because this is the one that got a lot of buzz. Mr. Zuckerberg, would you be comfortable sharing with oh. us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? I saw I saw this live, by the way. I yeah. was actually in the control room <laughs> yeah. at work, and I was watching this. I was, I was thinking... Oh, he's baiting. I was thinking, he's yeah. baiting him so What's so hard. funny is if you watch Mark's face, it looks like he kind of fell for he, it. Oh, no, like, he totally fell for it. I know. He totally fell for it. And then like it. his face changes like, oh, shit. And it's so funny. Like Mark's such a smart like, guy. but he, I walked into that one. Yeah. All right, here we this go. This is good. Mr. Zuckerberg, would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Um, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, Little builder. If you've messaged anybody this week, would you share with us the names of the people you've messaged? Uh, Senator, no, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here. I think that might be what this is all about. Your right to privacy, the limits of your right to privacy, and how much you give away in modern America in the name of, quote, connecting people around the world. You know, you think about it, Dick Durbin. Yeah, it's Dick Durbin. So this is a really big deal. There was 40 senators at that hearing. That's damn near half the Senate at one hearing. Um, And they represent, you know, collectively, you know, nearly 300 million people. Yeah, a huge cross-section of the United States of America. Yeah. Uh, And Mark Zuckerberg represents, what, 2 billion people? (laughs) I mean, it's just a really weird thing when you think about it. Yeah. There was also an awkward moment during yesterday's testimony that has interesting implications. I assume... um Facebook's been served with subpoenas from the special counsel Mueller's office. Is that correct? Yes. Have you or anyone at Facebook been interviewed by the special counsel's office? Yes. Have you been interviewed? I have not. I I have not. Others have. I I believe so. And I want to be careful here because that uh, our work with the special counsel is confidential, and I want to make sure that in an open session I'm not revealing something that's <clears throat> confidential. I understand. That's why I made clear that you have been contacted, you have had subpoenas. Actually, let me clarify that. I, I actually am not aware of, of a subpoena. I believe that there may be, but I know we're working with them. Thank you. Working with them, but uh, he, does, he doesn't seem to know more about it than that, which is just, so I thought, sort of interesting. Plausible deniability? Perhaps, mm-hmm. perhaps. Uh, so, Facebook announced they're going to make major changes to the way that they do political ads. And uh, uh, Zuck and uh, Tom Cruise had a back and forth about targeting conservatives. Uh, but today's hearing was different. It was in front of a, a congressional committee, and it almost felt like Facebook had been sort of uh, baiting them with uh, investing in rural broadband. And so a lot of the congressmen started with, uh, we're, we're, we would really be grateful, Mr. Zuckerberg, if you would help finance uh, rural fiber in our areas. You know, so, a lot, yeah. so there was a totally different tone. It was a totally different mark. In fact, I think I telegrammed you today. I said, uh, he's way more relaxed today. He's interrupting them. He's, he's, he doesn't look as pasty. He, you know, his, his, just, his whole body was a little more relaxed. Like he went into this one, I think, knowing it wasn't going to be as bad this time, or these guys weren't going to hit him as hard. These guys. It's going to be more softball questions. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I, I sent you a message. We were talking about it before the show, and I was like, yeah, he's happy he doesn't have to answer any more questions. Yeah, and the stock actually got the stock did better. Yeah. Uh, Mark helped the stock, which was fascinating. Bloomberg's YouTube stream had an overlay. Well, it actually did two things really, really well that was just great for the show. 
The Bloomberg YouTube stream never went off Zuckerberg ever. It was a tight shot on Mark Zuckerberg's face the entire time. Even when other people were talking for extended periods of time, it never double boxed him. So you could really watch him listen and his facial reactions as he's listening, which they often cut away from. That was so great. But the other thing that was even better is down in the corner, like the left side, they had a real-time stock ticker of the Facebook stock with the charts and real-time numbers and percentage changes. And as Mark would talk about cracking down on fake news or setting up filters for ISIS or he'd handle a question particularly well, you'd see the stock, you'd see the stock start rising instantly. And then when a hard question was coming or brought up something that people aren't comfortable with, like you being the customer or you being the product, uh, the stock would immediately start to go down a little bit. But all in all, I think he came out something like $3 billion richer uh, in this whole thing. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so there you go. Just another day in uh, Zuck's world. We'll see if this leads to larger regulation or where this should, is going. Should, do you think uh, we should red book something here? I mean, do you think that we're going to see something? Yeah, well, I've, I've already red booked. I red booked, by the way, oh, yeah. before all this yeah. even started that yeah. regulation was coming to Facebook. So this is, I made a prediction a month, more than, more than a month ago about this. I think what we will see in lieu of something directed specifically at Facebook, we might see something more general, a, you know, some sort of privacy law protection that will cover not only Facebook, but, uh, you know, Twitter and MySpace yeah. and uh, any other up and coming, you know, kind of a, just a standard, if you will. Yeah, you know, I want to make a mention. Hopefully. I want to make a mention here. I don't I don't know exactly. I think it's going to be more advertising related. If I was going to p- predict what the regulation is going to come down around, it's going to be advertising related um, because I think that's also uh, where some of the some of the money that comes into D.C. wants to see happen. But I want to. I want to also take a. There's a. There's a second, like unfiltered side to this entire story. And if this was any other week, and we didn't have all these other things going on, I would. I would have gotten a lot of clips of your brave senators and Congress critters coming out and defending your privacy and defending your right to your own data. And they all had to get on their special Fox or CNN or MSNBC interview podium box and talk about how the American people need to have control over their own data. And if they knew the kind of spying that Facebook was doing, and they're going to ask Mark hard questions when he comes in tomorrow. All this grandstanding the day before the hearings. And, and all of these people are hypocrites. Because if they cared, they wouldn't have just green stamped the Pfizer renewal and they would be cracking down and limiting what the NSA is capable of spying on U.S. citizens. It's just obvious that they don't actually care, but they know that they can push those buttons. So it's like well, part they, of the know, reason they is know those that... emotional buttons exist, and yet the NSA just runs rampant. Well, part of the reason is show me the money, right? Look at how much money is involved with these politicians and Facebook on its own right. That's true. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I got a link in the show notes, uh, unfiltered.show slash 276. That, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why Mark was a little relaxed today is because the people that were uh, talking to him today, he was the largest donor to all of them, pretty much. I mean, not all of them, but pretty much. Links in the show notes about that. So he knew he kind of already owned most of them, and they all wanted his rural broadband goodness. You would think, though, that with some of the, you know, tech geeks that are probably in the DC area, that some of them might be staffers and they would. Give the senators and you know representatives I would have better thought. questions. That's what I would have thought. There was only probably two or three of them that had any good questions at all, uh, and they just weren't properly prepped by their staff. And so you got to wonder how they would do crafting any kind of regulation. Yeah, like, oh, uh, how does uh, Facebook make its money? It's like advertising. It's like you didn't know that. I mean, and then those are the kind of things that 
gosh, I really feel like we need a new, fresh breed of yeah. people that go into the politics and actually know what the hell is going on in the world. Zuckerberg came out, I think, better than I expected him to oh, yeah. on the other end of this. And uh, our Congress critters really showed themselves for being out of touch and not even able to uh, apparently have people on their staff that can advise them and prep them questions, which is pretty incompetent. Um, but at least they're on the case, right, Chase? They're going oh, yeah. to make sure your privacy. I feel safer already. Speaking of social media, your Twitter feed's going to be lighting up because your good buddy is making some moves. Uh, <laughs> How did the Russia investigation really begin? House Intel Committee Chair Devin Nunes just picked a fight with the FBI and DOJ to find out. Nunes demanding an unredacted version of the FBI document that started the whole Trump-Russia probe. He's threatening legal action if he doesn't receive it by April 11th. So... Does that mean we're going to get some answers? Joining me, former Utah congressman and Fox News contributor Jason Chaffetz. Jason. Uh, good- yeah, really, the answer is it depends. I can save you the time <laughs> on his interview there. But uh, that'll be really fascinating to see if we can actually get that revealed. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't really know. That whole Intel committee was assembled. The original Intel House committee was assembled by, um, by Paul Ryan. So now that Paul Ryan will be moving on, wait, wait, Paul Trey, Ryan's leaving? No, and Trey Gowdy is moving on. Uh, Gowdy mode gone. Wonder what will happen. We'll see what happens there. But uh, we are not sitting still with Russia. Truff is Truff. <laughs> Trump is still being the toughest ever, and he's got even tougher. All right. Well, the White House issuing more sanctions against Russian oligarchs, government officials and companies for their roles in promoting Russia's, quote, malign activities. Here's Press Secretary Sarah Sanders defending the president's actions earlier. As the president has said, he wants to have a good relationship with Russia, but that's going to depend on uh, some of the actions by the Russians. What we would like to see is the totality of the Russian behavior change. Uh, we want to continue having conversations and work forward uh, to building a better relationship. Joining me now. There you go. So a little more sanctions, just turning it up a little bit. Just keep turning up the pressure a little bit. And in the background is what I think is the, the biggest issue this week. Uh, and that's the chemical weapons attack in Syria. And now the rapid action that France... Uh, Britain and the U.S. are taking to form an alliance to go into Syria and uh, start just uh, no longer doing it through a proxy and doing it directly. Now, before we talk about the situation in Syria, we got to go back in time a little bit. We got to go back about three weeks from today. Um, Three weeks from maybe, yeah, yesterday, I think. Let me look at the calendar. It doesn't really matter, but actually kind of does matter. The timeline is kind of actually important. So March 30th, 2018, Donald Trump was hosting the Baltic leaders. It was just a day before uh, an episode. And, and we begin this hour with President Trump. News. Some shocking. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, right, okay, that's right. So the Baltic leaders, the next one. So we have uh, this is this is the March 30th clip. Where do you remember this? Where Trump goes out, he's doing a rally, and it's the first news where apparently during this rally. Uh, Trump says, yeah, we're coming. We're getting out of Syria. And the White House is like, what? And they later release a statement saying, no, 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 no. We're not getting out of Syria. Uh, He shocked some members of his own administration after revealing his plans for American involvement in war-torn Syria in front of a massive crowd in Ohio. Last night, the president told supporters about his plans for the ISIS battleground. We're knocking the hell out of ISIS. We'll be coming out of Syria like very soon. Let the other people take care of it now. Very soon. Very soon. We're coming out. We're going to have 100% of the caliphate 
as they call it, sometimes referred to as land. We've taken it all back quickly, quickly. Uh, but we're going to be coming out of there real soon. So that was big news when Donald Trump said that. And then uh, so that was on Thursday. And I, by Sunday, this a statement, I don't know when the White House released it, but by Sunday, uh, a statement had come out that said, no, 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 we're, we're not we're not pulling out of Syria. That's not true. Uh, but uh, wait, that's not true. You mean a that's lie? what the White House said? No, they said, no, no, it's just that was a misunderstanding from what the president said. Wait, but he he said no, was, on no, TV, a, no, no, Chris, a, I saw what he said. No, see, they thought about it afterwards and realized it was a misunderstanding on your part. You were thinking of I it misunderstood. Wrong. Yeah, you were listening wrong. I was wrong. Yeah, listening wrong. I'm a wrong guy. So then, now this is where my confusion came in. So then, uh, last week, April 3rd, the day before our last episode, Donald Trump was hosting the Baltic leaders, and he said this. As far as Syria is concerned, uh, our primary mission in terms of uh, that was getting rid of ISIS. We've almost completed that task. And we'll be making a decision very quickly in coordination with others in the area. Okay. So you're inclined to pull the troops out? I want to get out. I want to bring our troops back home. I want to start rebuilding our nation. We will have, as of three months ago, $7 trillion in the Middle East over the last 17 years. We get nothing, nothing out of it. We just passed a $700 billion. So that was uh, the day before last week's episode. And um, there was another statement, even after the White House correction, even after their official correction, another statement from Donald Trump saying, we're getting out of there. We spent $7 trillion. What have we got? We've got nothing. And uh, this really, this, this, this funny, this sort of jackass uh, uh, journalist um, tweeted, and I have a link in the show notes uh, after that. He said... Uh, he said, oh, oh, yeah, watch out. Now there's going to be a chemical weapons attack to make sure that we stay in Syria. This is Bill Neely. Horrific images of Syrian children fighting for breath, of entire families killed in their homes, the U.S. accusing Russia and Syrian President Assad of the chemical attack. So very quickly, uh, we heard news of a chemical weapons attack. Did you, did you get me a gift? I, I did not. I'm sorry. It's our anniversary. Today? No, no, uh, the chemical weapons attack. It was uh, oh. it was this episode last year that we were covering the last year chemical weapons attack in Syria. Oh, so this is the yearly this, update. It's the it is literally the same week. Wow, we have landed. Holy crap! Wow, okay. right on it. Yeah, wow. So it's our anniversary of Syria weapons weapon. And now, if you recall, that one turned out to be a little questionable. Who does this? Only a monster does this. Russia could stop this senseless slaughter if it wanted. Overnight, action from Israel. Warplanes striking a Syrian airbase also used by Iran. Israeli warplanes hit the same base two months ago. They launched this overnight attack from here, inside Lebanese airspace, firing eight guided missiles. But such attacks have failed to deter Assad who notoriously killed more than a thousand civilians with chemicals five years ago. So yeah, he's a big chemical weapons guy. Everybody knows that. We all know that. And uh, Trump says it's barbaric. He was horrified by what he saw. I'd like to begin by condemning the heinous attack on innocent Syrians with banned chemical weapons. It was an atrocious attack. It was horrible. 
Look who's back there, by the way. Bolton. Yeah. Things like Head that, as bad out. as the news is around the world, you just don't see those images. We are studying that situation extremely closely. We are meeting with our military and everybody else. And we'll be making some major decisions over the next 24 to 48 hours. We are very concerned when a thing like that can happen. This is about humanity. We're talking about humanity. And it can't be allowed to happen. So we'll be uh, looking at that barbaric act and studying what's going on. We're trying to get people in there. As you know, it's been surrounded, so it's very hard to get people in because not only has it been hit, it's been surrounded. And if they're innocent, why aren't they allowing people to go in and prove? Now, you should ask who's surrounding it because it's rebels that we've backed. But uh, there was a specific question that the press threw at Trump that I thought we should grab. He may, yeah, he may. Does Putin bear responsibility for this? And then Trump says, yeah, he may. And uh, if he does, it's going to be very tough. Very tough. He'll he'll pay a price. Everybody's going to pay a price. He will. Everybody will. Excuse me? U.S. military action. Is it off the table? Nothing's off the table. Nothing's off the table. All right. That's pretty serious talk. Um, and I, I want to sidestep because the show has the fortune of been, being around since 2012. Uh, we've, we've watched a lot of stuff, including really the beginning of the conflict in Syria. Yeah. And I remember covering something really early on that didn't seem right. And it was an end. I don't know if you remember this, but an NBC correspondent was captured by troops that were aligned with Assad. Was that Brian Williams? No. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> no, I can't remember the guy's name because it was it was so long ago. Uh, and at the time, I said, "This doesn't smell right. Something about this smells like a scam." And I, we got we had a lot of people back then who were like, "How could you say that?" Right? It was yeah. we got a lot of different hate back then about the serious stuff. Um, and it turned out in 2015, it was revealed it was in fact a scam. And here's the problem with everything coming out of Syria. You cannot trust anything. And so to demonstrate this point, I went back in time to the show's archives and got a clip from a 2015 broadcast of Democracy Now! to demonstrate what I'm talking about. And John Jay College of Criminal Justice. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. NBC News is at the center of a new controversy, this time focused on its chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel. Back in 2012, Engel and five other members of an NBC News team were kidnapped by armed gunmen in Syria. They were held for five days. Just after his release, Engel spoke on NBC News about his captors. I think I have a very good idea of who they were. This was uh, a group known as the Shabiha. This is a government militia. These are people who are loyal to President Bashar al-Assad. They are Shiite. Uh, They uh, were talking openly about their loyalty to the government, uh, openly expressing their Shia faith. They are trained by uh, Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard. They are allied with Hezbollah. That was NBC News chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel speaking after he was released in December 2012. Well, earlier this week, a New York Times investigation prompted Engel to revise his story and reveal he was actually captured by Sunni militants affiliated with the U.S.-backed Free Syrian Army. 
In an article published on Wednesday, Engels said the kidnappers had, quote, put on an elaborate ruse to convince us they were Shiite uh, Shabia militiamen. According to the Times investigation, NBC knew at the time that Engel and the others were held on a chicken farm, widely known to be controlled by a Sunni criminal group. NBC was also informed of the identities of two Sunni men possibly involved in the kidnapping. But the network and Engel never relayed this information to the public and repeatedly claimed the kidnapping was done by Shiite militants linked to Syrian President Assad. The New York Times investigation also raised questions about Richard Engel's rescue. Engel originally said he was rescued by Sunni rebels after his captors accidentally drove into a checkpoint. In fact, the Shiite rebel groups holding the NBC crew created a ruse to free them and blamed the kidnapping on the Assad regime, the Sunni groups that were holding him, blamed the, uh, it on the Assad regime. Engel had previously said two of his captors died during a gunfight at the checkpoint. The controversy over Engel's kidnapping comes just three months after NBC suspended nightly news anchor Brian Williams after admitting that a story he told about coming under fire in a helicopter during the Iraq war was not true. So they buried it because they were just butthurt over Brywy. That whole thing was super embarrassing for NBC, and so they had to bury this. On Thursday, journalist Glenn Greenwald described NBC News's conduct in the Engel case to be more troubling than the Brian Williams scandal. Greenwald wrote, quote, the NBC story was quite likely to fuel the simmering war cries in the West to attack or at least aggressively intervene against Assad. That's a far more serious and far more consequential journalistic sin than a newsreader puffing out his chest and pretending he's Rambo, he wrote. So here's what we don't understand, because they don't explain it to us when they're reporting on news from Syria, is the networks don't have anyone in the area. They Nobody does, because it's a war zone. And so the way we find out about this stuff is somebody who is aligned with the anti-Assad forces goes to a, a, a reporter or an outlet or a human rights organization or some contact and reports it. And then there's – so people that are involved in the battle are the ones that are relaying the information. They're just not traditionally good sources. I'm not even saying what their motivations are. I'm just saying they're traditionally not good sources. Uh, and because the area is blocked off by rebels and these people are being held inside there, there isn't really a way for the U.S. or Russia to send anybody in to verify this thing. So we haven't actually had a reporter or a scientist or anyone there on the scene. So we all we have is what, what kind of began what the what the speculation of the last attack was, is it ended up being the rebels that actually did the, the attack. Um Three weeks before the attack, Russia did release a warning that the rebels were planning to do a chemical attack. I have that linked in the show notes. It's time-stamped. It's dated. They released it via official international channels where they said they had intelligence indicating that the rebels were preparing a chemical weapons attack three weeks ago. Wow. So that's in the show notes if you want to see that. All right. Uh, so this whole situation in Syria is really murky. It, it may have happened. It may not have happened. It may have been the rebels. It may have been Israel because the real interest here is Iran. All of this is really about pipelines and Iran. And there has been a chorus for war. People are calling for war and all of the traditional people are coming out. Uh, your good buddy. My friend. Tony Blair. Oh, remember good old, UK. Yeah, good old, yeah. all, good old, all the Iraq war hustlers are out hustling for war, including my good buddy, Lindsey Graham. I think the president is open-minded to trying again. 
And, and Senator Graham, I, I want to move on to Syria. We've yes. all seen those horrific yeah, images this yeah, morning. Yeah. The president just tweeting many dead, including women and children, in mindless chemical attack in Syria. Doesn't he sound like the emperor from Star Wars? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Let's talk about our next victim. Let mm-hmm. the hate flow. Horrific images this yeah. morning. The president just tweeting many dead, including women and children, in mindless chemical attack in Syria. President Putin, Russia and Iran are responsible for backing animal Assad. Big price to pay. I think he means by that. Tom Bosser told me nothing's off the table. Well, it's a defining moment in his presidency because he has challenged Assad in the past not to use chemical weapons. Imagine if Trump's advisors, like people like Lindsey Graham, who speak to him directly over the phone, are telling him this is a defining moment in your presidency. You have to go to war. It's your moral obligation. We had a one and done uh, a, a missile attack. So Assad's at it again. They see us, our resolve breaking. We still have not confirmed that Assad was behind the original web- chemical weapons attack a year ago. And uh, as of just a couple of hours ago, before we went on air, the White House was asked if they have confirmed that Assad was behind this chem- chemical attack. And they said they have not confirmed that. Just two hours ago. So it's and this is Lindsey Graham on Sunday. They see our determination to stay in Syria waning and this no accident. They use chemical weapons. But President Trump can reset the table here. To me, I would destroy Assad's air force. I would create safe zones in Syria. So Assad's air force would be Russia's air force. So attack Russian uh, planes and pilots. Uh, and bomb Russia's allies' air bases. And then if you enforce um, a restricted no-fly zone, you're going to be shooting down Russian jets and Russian pilots. So that's literally what Lindsey Graham is calling for right here. We've seen this script before, so you guys know that. We've talked about this before. Syria waning and this no accident. They use chemical weapons. But President Trump can reset the table here. To me, I would destroy Assad's air force. I would create safe zones in Syria. Safe zones are no-fly zones. Where people can come back to their country from the surrounding area uh, and and live a better life, train up Syrians to take on Assad so we can negotiate in Geneva. They are calling for a total reset in Syria. Start training up people to take on Assad. They are... uh, I've heard this before somewhere. We're going all in. Your good buddy Madeleine Albright, same thing. In fact, Madeleine Albright says, just like with the Iraq war, we got to bypass that pesky UN. This is that... There is some attempt to do things at the United Nations, but there is nobody better than understanding about how to undermine resolutions at the United Nations than Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister. You see, these damn Russians are going to use all of these fucking procedures and processes and these voting things. And then this country called China, who even let them in, they're going to also block us. So we have to just bypass them completely. Screw international convention. That's what's the UN even good about for? About how to undermine resolutions at the United Nations and Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, because I dealt with him when he was ambassador. And so it is very hard to figure out how the United Nations can act, uh, what action has to be has to take place. And I hope the administration is looking at something other than using just the United Nations because something has to be done. Now, look, you always got to bring up Madeleine Albright when you really want to sell a war for some reason. Oh, yeah. Historical value. Uh, Also, John Bolton is he's built his career on hating the U.N., if you want to watch somebody just go on a rant, John Bolton has a rant, a famous rant about how a bomb could take out three floors of the U.N. building and nothing would change. 
You can find that on YouTube. That's John wow. Bolton. So Tucker had a medley of hawks. I just wanted to play a little bit of it for you. Criminals, uh, uh, legitimate military targets. Lindsay here's on Fox. Lindsay went on every cable news network and primetime news network that would take him. If you have the opportunity to take him out, you should. It's very clear to me that this president, after using such rhetoric on Sunday, has to take strong, stronger military action than we did last year. We have a leader who is now a war criminal supported by the Iranians and the Russians. That demands a strong and risky response. If the West won't stand up when a leader uses uh, gas multiple times against his own people, we live in a very dangerous world. Boy, I tell you, if it comes out that Israel is behind that gas attack, I'm sure we're all going to turn and uh, jump on Israel for it, right? Oh, yeah, but, totally um, sarcasm, yes. Not to overdo the, the Cucker Tuckerson, but uh, this moment uh, of his is maybe his best. And you know Cucker is prime when liberals are passing this link around going, wow, this guy. In fact, the, the, the headline is, <laughs> you know the state of our country's bad when Tucker Carlson is the voice of sanity. Tonight, leaders on both sides of the aisle in Congress, in the media, in our intelligence services, in virtually every overfunded think tank in Washington, have suddenly aligned tonight on a single point of agreement. America must go to war in Syria immediately. Bashar al-Assad cannot continue to lead that country. He must be overthrown. Assad is an evil man, they tell us. His latest crime is a chlorine gas attack carried out over the weekend by his forces against a rebel-held suburb of Damascus. Assad's poison gas suffocated children. Pictures of the aftermath of that are all over the Internet, and they are horrifying. Assad is a monster. That's the official story. Almost everyone in power claims to believe it. It's just, it's so unbelievable. The reason why I played those two clips of Trump talking about pulling out of Syria is because I think that is really important context. This just happens... If I'm Bashar al-Assad and I have been fighting terrorists since 2012 at least trying to get them out. They're almost completely contained now. My allies, Russia and Iran, are more out and open about supporting me than ever. And the U.S. president is openly calling for pulling out of my country. Is that when I do a chemical weapons attack? No, no. I think what you do is you do a, a an attack to try to bring people back. And if you're not the one doing the attack and there's someone else doing the attack... Or it's self-inflicted. We don't know yet. Yeah. That's the thing, right? We don't really know. Now Trump's all about going all in and forming uh, a a partnership. Anyways, so so Cucker brings some of this up. But I just – I want you all to just think about that. That's why I played those two uh, Trump clips unedited because it really shows you where his mind's at. He's going on about $7 trillion totally wasted. There's no reason for us to be there. He says it twice – and then this happens. The push to war in Syria, by the way, has united politicians from both sides. Lindsey Graham and Howard Dean typically agree on very little. This is always a red flag. When you have when you have two different far sides come together on something like this. Now Dean, Dean surprised me. Although if you, if you watch if you followed him recently, it's not that surprising. Lindsey Graham though, he's always the first to call for war when John, when John McCain is uh, not uh, available. Not much at all. But today they are both calling for war in Syria. Graham is demanding massive attacks on the Syrian military. Dean is going even further than that. On Twitter, he called the president, quote, a wimp for merely sending thousands of troops and launching tons of bombs at Syria. That's not enough for Howard Dean, who, as you may remember, once ran for president as the peace candidate. Tonight, he wants total war in Syria. 
television pundits, of course, strongly agree. This morning, the foreign policy team over on MSNBC explained that it's far more important for American troops to fight in Syria than it is to secure our own border here in America. Watch. There's no question that now, uh, all these years later, it is Donald Trump's Donald Trump's challenge. He has to take action. He's right. spoken to Macron. What he ought to do is a coordinated action. There has to be a comprehensive response. As Trump leaves to fight his imaginary border war, he's leaving the real war where we could make a difference and said he's turning it over to Assad and to Iran. Literally every flavor of TV. This is liberal MSNBC. They're calling for war. Uh, the right is calling for war. They're all calling for war. Uh, I, and, it would, and I don't think they really understand how bad war would be. Safer? Would it make the region more stable? Let's see. How exactly did regime change work in Iraq and Libya? Doesn't matter, say our moral leaders on CNN and everywhere else. Atrocities like this cannot be tolerated. Okay. But let's be real. We do tolerate atrocities like this all the time. For example, there's a devastating famine killing children in Yemen right now. The Saudis are causing that famine. We're helping them right over just just in Yemen. So that's where our double standard really is. Now, so I don't normally play these interviews, but Tucker brings on an interview and uh, it, it's really something. Hope it passes. Senator Roger Wickers, a Republican representing the state of Mississippi, and he joins us tonight. Senator, thanks for coming on. What Thank is you. Um, what is the American national security interest that would be served by regime change in Syria? Well, uh, if you care about Israel, you're, you're, uh, you have to be interested at least in what's going on in Syria. Uh, we're fighting ISIS there. Uh, Iran is uh, seeking to dominate the whole uh, region. I think we have national interests. It's about Iran is what it is. And, and money it, and oil. In, uh, in Syria. But let me say this about what... Uh, candidate Trump uh, may have said or what he said before he was a candidate. You know, th there is information you receive when you're president of the United States. I hate that answer. There's information you get. Yeah, yeah, we all know that. But so Tucker goes on. To hear. Well, and, and there, there's certainly a lot of those people are smart. Um, but I just want to get back to the core question that I think a lot of voters have, which is what's the American national security interest that is served? You, you said if you care about Israel, I do care about Israel. But what's the American national security interest that would be served by regime change? You can think of a lot of potential downsides, deaths, cost, etc. He's not going to give you the right answer, Tucker. You think he could come up with a single answer, though? Yeah, I mean, uh, Tucker, it's really about oil. Uh, we want to <laughs> yeah. lay some pipe. Price is going up right now. Price actually. is going up. We want to connect some pipelines. We want to make some money. Yeah. Oh, he, wait. I'm sorry. I can't hear you, Tucker. Tucker. How hello? would this country become safer by overthrowing yeah, Assad? I, I'm, I'm not sure that regime change is still our goal there. It was it was the goal of, of Barack Obama. It hasn't really. It's Lindsey Graham's goal. It's Lindsey Graham's goal. He actually uh, and we don't have to watch just but to make sure he actually later on in the interview. Putin here. there, It's right here. He he goes on. So so. Uh, what, what this is Tucker Styles. He just asked him the same question again. Okay, but going back to my core question, how does this serve American interests? The guy eventually gives up. The senator, uh, he is. This is uh, Roger Wicker from uh, Mississippi. He gives up and just starts saying that uh, Tucker is a Putin agent, basically. You're asking about whether this is a, some sort of a hoax or whether uh, this this uh, poison gas attack. Uh, really didn't happen, was done by someone else. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not suggesting that's a, that. That's I a mean, question that Mr. Putin is asking, and he has a right to ask it, and, and so do you. I, I, I find myself 
on the, on I'm the not sure I understand the implication. I'm not sure I understand no. the implication of, of adding Putin to that equation. So, so it started with Adam Schiff on the left using the Putin argument, and now we have a Republican senator throwing around the Putin thing. I, I just, I, I can't even with this. Right to ask it, and, and so do you. That's, a, that, that's I mean, a question that Mr. Putin is asking, and he has a right to ask it, and, and so do you. I, I, I find myself... On the, on I'm the not other sure I understand the issue. implication. I'm not sure I understand no. the implication of, I'm just of adding Putin a question to that equation. That he's asking. I'm just saying this. Well, that, that, that's that that's not relevant. Well, slow down, Senator. That's not relevant to why I asked the question. And I hope you're not trying to impugn my motive by tying me to Putin, as so many on the left do. It's it's, it's interesting <laughs> how that gets thrown around now. Oh, yeah. you're a Putin. Oh, Putin, Putin, Putin. So either way, while the uh, people on the media are making fools of themselves, actual military assets are being moved for something that's very scary. The region now bracing itself for uh, what could be U.S. airstrikes as a result of the reported use of chemical weapons by the uh, Bashar al-Assad regime. It appears the Russians, who have a significant presence on the ground in Syria are preparing for those possible strikes. Satellite images obtained exclusively by Fox News from ImageSat International show recent activity at the Syrian port of Tartus. Earlier today, take a look at the imagery, 11 Russian battleships could be seen at the port. Now, at this hour, they are presumed to be at sea. Only hours ago, a single Russian submarine remained. The U.S. military is also on the move. The USS Donald Cook left Cyprus on Monday and is within striking distance of potential Syrian targets. Published reports say it has an arsenal of 50 Tomahawk missiles. The USS Harry Truman, on a scheduled deployment, is also headed to the region. European air traffic controllers have put on high alert regarding possible military action in Syria. Airlines have been told to prepare for possible disruption of navigation equipment, and some airlines have rerouted flights. In addition to the U.S., the U.K. and France are calling on the international community to respond to Syria's alleged use of chemical weapons. One year ago, the U.S. was alone in launching airstrikes in Syria in response to the use of deadly nerve gas. Any attack now would likely involve a coalition and could last for several days. And although diplomatic... So one of the things they're doing, it's a real clever little trick that they figured out, is if they're all working together, if they're all working together, they can have France do the dirty work. Because the way France's uh, system works, he doesn't have to, the president doesn't have to get any kind of like type like we have. To, theoretically, the president's supposed to get congressional approval right, for any kind of war. They don't have that pesky problem. Oh, so yeah. they can just off, offshore yeah. it. So we're we're gonna make yeah. a strong bond. You see, a strong bond of of uh, war fighters, Chase. Well, you know, I, we're all on the same team here, right? Yeah. So that's the Hoorah! way to do it. Hoorah! Also something happening today, Syrian forces on high alert preparing for a possible strike from the U.S. in retaliation for chemical attacks on its citizens. The West now vowing to come together to demand that Assad finally be forced to destroy his chemical weapons stockpile. So what happens next? Here now to weigh in is the former deputy commanding general of U.S. It's a book plug. So that's that's a bad, bad sign. When they're all three coming together, just like with the poisoning, it's Russia, it's Russia, before we've even gotten a single person down there to do an investigation. And this is really picking up a lot of steam. Uh, we're going to war in Syria, I think. I think I, what I thought it was hopefully winding down, uh, somebody just turned the dial up to 11. Do you think there... Obviously, you know, all the signs are pointing that direction. And war only boosts the military-industrial complex. But... 
I think maybe the reason why they haven't really fully pulled the trigger on this yet is maybe they're trying to formulate the actual proof that the American people would need to know and see. Now, then, I don't think they're ever going to bother. You with don't that. think so? No, they're just waiting for. They're waiting for France. They're 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 waiting. They're waiting for the UK. They're just they're kind of waiting for everybody to get their stuff together. Um, so you're saying that Trump tweeted a little prematurely? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because didn't he always give Obama a hard time about not telecasting? The well, that was that plans? was a huge thing. Like he did in 2015. It's like, why are you telling the enemy what you're? I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But why are you telling the enemy what you're going to do before you do it? Yeah. And he does it. Yeah, and that whole like smart missiles thing is kind of embarrassing. It's, they're smart. They're clean. They're yeah. so big. Yeah. And so now, so that's what we have now is. Is we have Donald Trump uh, threatening Russia to get ready for a missile strike? You know, like I'll get ready to shoot him down. Yeah, I. So let's. Okay, do you want? Uh, do you want to? Let's talk about. Let's talk about that tweet because uh, I think that's worth talking about. Past few minutes, President Trump sent Russia a strong warning as he plans a possible missile attack on Syria. The president tweeted, "Russia vows to shoot down any and all missiles fired at Syria. Get ready, Russia, because they will be coming nice and new and smart." You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills his people and enjoys it. So what this tweet is, I, I read this tweet two ways. Uh, this is either Donald Trump trying to play hardball. Um, Same way he tried to play hardball with North Korea. Or this is this is a man who can't, in, 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 the, in the moment of the passion, can't even remember how hard he slammed his opponent for telecasting his moves. But also, it seems to betray that... He is buying hook, line, and sinker what what any information is given to him by whoever is surrounded by him. Like when Donald Trump first came in to the White House, I think he was kind of famously known for getting news from all kinds of alternative sources, including some that people didn't like. And uh, he often had a different take on a situation than was the mainstream D.C. take on a situation. That was a pretty common thing for Donald Trump. And uh, now it feels like he's like hook, line, and sinkered. He's like the number one sucker for their propaganda. You know what I mean? Like that's doesn't. Do you get that sense? Like he's hook, like if he's he's he, calling him calling uh, another leader of a country an animal. You've obviously bought that this guy. I mean, I don't know. I read this as somebody who's completely bought in on what the in, the entire military is probably. Trying. I. I... The thing is, is you the, the, have... the problem I have with this tweet in this whole situation, at least on the, from the Russian angle of things, is for so long, for so long, it feels like so long, that the president has been not very engaging when it comes to saying bad and negative things about Russia. And now all of a sudden, I don't know if the investigation has anything to do with this or not, but obviously, you know, with his lawyer being, uh, you know, raided and everything that's happening around that situation and everything tying back to Russia, maybe he has to feel like or appear to the American people that he's now being hard on them. That's it's very hard for me sometimes to believe some of these tweets and his aggressiveness when we've seen nothing play out from the, the these kind of aggressive tweets. I don't I, He vents I a lot. He sees a lot from Fox and Friends and his other sources. What he if, tweets though? about it and then nothing let ha- me, usually happens. Let me float you an idea. All what right. if this is the 2020 re-election plan? War with somebody like a major power, like a trade war or not probably not trade war, but like a like a now, like I some would, kind of major conflict where you don't want to switch horses mid-race. Well, hey, what what's what's better optics than uh and I'm just, you know, in, I'm not saying this as a positive thing, 
for for me to say. I'm just saying, what are better optics for the president to go in there to Syria and say, "Look, I'm going in here. I'm defending these kids that these have been, babies. these babies that have been attacked, and I'm going to go in there and fight." And you know, if he goes out and says that to the American people, American people go, "You know what? Yeah, you're right. You should go in there and do that." And you know, usually when there's a big war, you don't want to change in leadership. Now, obviously, the president has no danger until 2020, right? But maybe it might help secure a few extra seats uh, in Congress. I mean, you never know. Yeah, I, I don't know where this is going, but we're 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 walking a tight line. Yeah, well, it's war's not good. The only thing that's really good for is for those that are in power and have the money to. Uh, and with the with the recent cabinet changes, he's particularly more surrounded. Not just John Bolton, but oh, yeah. you have Pompeo going to the State Department. You have a gal moving into the CIA role who was a big hawk. You have Bolton also that now has Trump's ear. You have Trump surrounded by generals as his advisors. Uh, all of the people that surround Donald Trump are hawks now. And we're going into a situation that is extremely volatile. And some of those hawks have wanted to punch Russia in the face for decades. You know, Apocalypto in the chat room brings up a great point. The Remember the emergency declaration from uh, 9-11? Hold on, I got to dig myself. Chat. Well, it gets renewed in uh, September again. And uh, hey, if uh, you got something new to fight about, you got to renew it. You know, protect America. So let's keep talking about Donald Trump, but uh, in a different capacity. His lawyer's office, home, and hotel all got raided in a super aggressive way by the FBI. Pierre Thomas, leading us off. Pierre? This hotel where Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney, is currently staying, along with his offices and home, all raided today by FBI agents in New York City in a highly unusual and aggressive step. Sources familiar with the investigation telling ABC News, FBI agents took a host of documents, including some related to Cohen's $130,000 payment to porn star Stormy Daniels in the days leading up to the 2016 election. The raid comes just four days after President Trump made his first comments on Daniels, saying he did not know anything about the hushed payment. Daniel says she had an affair with the president back in 2006, something the White House denies. It was entirely consensual. Oh, yes. Yes. Tonight, Cohen's attorney Stephen Ryan calling the raid, quote, completely inappropriate and unnecessary, adding it resulted in the unnecessary seizure of protected attorney-client communications between a lawyer and his clients. Oh. Ryan also said the raid was a result of a referral by the special counsel Bob Mueller. So to make it clear... Bob Mueller goes to the Justice Department, says, hey, I think you guys ought to look into this. The Justice Department takes from there. The deputy attorney general signs off on the raid. A source telling ABC News the FBI raids were not about Russia. Tonight, the case is being assigned to federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. During the campaign, Cohen became known for his sharp attacks supporting his boss and friend. But you guys are down. And it makes sense that there would... Says who? Daniels, Cohen, and the president now locked in multiple legal battles. Daniels' attorney claims their hush agreement is void because the president did not sign it and in the past 24 hours filed a new motion to depose the president. Attorneys for Cohen have filed their own lawsuit 
attempting to bring the matter into arbitration. Now, there's news today that says that they were particularly interested in information regarding the Access Hollywood tapes, too, that Cohen may have had. Yeah, I saw that note. And, of yep. course, uh, Trump uh, didn't like this too much. So I just heard that uh, they broke into the office of one of my personal attorneys. That didn't break in. Good man. And uh, it's a disgraceful situation. It's a total witch hunt. I've been saying it for a long time. So he's not so happy with it. In fact, some people say he's quite a raid. Here's a little more information from Catherine Heritage on the raid. Just corresponding Catherine no Heritage here in the Bureau. Good evening, Catherine. Well, thank you, Rhett. We had confirmation late today from Michael Cohen's attorney that there were three raids that were executed on behalf of the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York City. As you mentioned, the law office as well as the family home and a hotel room where the family is staying temporarily while some renovations are happening at their apartment. Right. We also received a statement late today from his attorney that reads, in part the decision by the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York to conduct their investigation using search warrants is completely inappropriate and unnecessary. <coughs> it resulted in the unnecessary yeah. seizure. Of I want to stop here. So there is a um, they're going to get into it a little bit in this, but there is some precedent for them to do this. But it has to be in a couple of really kind of unique cases. Otherwise, it is it is very much procedure for them to just interface with a lawyer's office and ask for the documents through traditional channels. It's sort of like a legal courtesy, if nothing else. But if fraud's involved and there is strong suspicion that there may be destruction of evidence, there is precedence for this. Right. Of protected attorney-client communications. Also late today, we received a statement from Stormy Daniels attorney Michael Avenatti, and it reads in part, as I predicted last week on CNN and MSNBC, Mr. Cohen has been placed in the crosshairs by Mr. Trump. He has been set up to take the fall. An enormous amount of misplaced faith has been placed on his shoulders, and I do not believe he has the metal to withstand it. If I am correct, this could end very badly for Mr. Trump as well as others. Also late today, we spoke with a source close to the president's legal team who described the raise to us as a big deal, very aggressive, and an effort by the special counsel Robert Mueller's office to put the squeeze on the president saying the likelihood now of an... So they still are theorizing that Robert Mueller did this to put the squeeze on the president, even though it's through the Justice Department. That's possible. An interview session, a question and answer session between the president and Mr. Mueller, uh, he said is uh, at least very remote for the time being, Brett. Catherine, quickly, mm -hmm. it, it seems like there are a couple of things that, that potentially are happening here. One, that they found something that is leading them in this Russia investigation to some money tie or something that's right. all in Mueller's investigation. But two, that he found something else and is passing it on to the U.S. attorney in Manhattan. Uh, if you look at the the law, the statute, if you determine that additional jurisdiction is necessary in order to fully investigate and resolve matters that assigned or investigate new matters that this is the statute that empowers Mueller come to light in the course of your investigation, you should follow the procedures set forth. Uh, that could be a possibility too, like passing it on. Right. You're right on top of the central point, Brett. It's whether this is ultimately going to rem remain part of the special counsel investigation and there is some kind of tie to Russia and Robert Mueller Mueller has received the authorities or extended authorities from the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to pursue this line of investigation, or whether he's uncovered evidence he believes is part of a separate criminal matter which will be pursued by the U.S. Attorney's Office. But the other big headline today is, according to Michael Cohen's attorney, they took attorney-client privileged information, and you have to have a clean team go through that evidence. You can either have a judge or FBI agents, but I was told there's a high level of distrust 
trust because Cohen was already cooperating and to have the FBI come in might be just a bridge too far for the Trump legal team. Yeah, basically, it's just sort of blew up negotiations. Uh, so there's been a lot more questions uh, to Trump. Are you going to fire Bob? Do you think he will? After, let's play this clip and make a red book, okay? You find it very exciting, but you are going to do a fantastic job, and I appreciate you joining Thank us. Thank you. He's welcoming freaking John Bolton. Yeah, come on down. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to do a great job. You're going to do a heck of a job. Here. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you. No. No, I'm not. Why don't I just fire Mueller? Well, I think it's a disgrace what's going on. We'll see what happens. But I think it's really a sad situation when you look at what happened. And many people have said you should fire him. Uh, again, they found nothing. And in finding nothing, uh, that's a big statement. If you know the person who's in charge of the investigation, uh, you know all about that. Uh, Deputy Rosenstein, Rod Rosenstein, he wrote the letter, very critical, of Comey. One of the things I said, I fired Comey. Well, I turned out to do the right thing because you look at all of the things that he's done and the lies and you look at what's gone on at the FBI with the insurance policy and all of the things that happened. Turned out I did the right thing. Uh, but he signed, as you know, he also signed the FISA warrant. So Rod Rosenstein, who's in charge of this, signed a FISA warrant. And he also, he also fi signed a letter that was essentially saying to fire James Comey. And he was right about that. He was absolutely right. I thought you were right about that. So yeah, we'll yeah, see yeah. what happens. Uh, I think it's uh, disgraceful, and so does a lot of other people. This is a pure and simple witch hunt. Oh. So uh, I keep going back. I don't think he's going to fire him. No. And you know what? I, I don't think. Well, legally, he can't. Yeah, Le legally, that. he can't. That's what everybody keeps saying, but then he keeps saying he can't. Well, you know, he 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 can say he can fly, too, and, you know, he's not going to be able <laughs> okay. to. All right, all right. Now, I, what I'm saying is. In order for it to happen, there would have to be a Saturday Night Massacre all over again. Yeah. He would have to basically fire the attorney, uh, assistant attorney yep. general. That's and, what I was thinking. And basically find somebody that would be willing to fire Mueller. In the meantime, things between Sessions and Trump are so awkward. He slams Sessions later on in that clip, too. <laughs> it's so awkward. So this is a really interesting twist. Uh, and um, there's a, been a bunch of people surrounding Manafort also that have uh, just uh, uh, gotten busted, too. So a lot of stuff uh, going down. But uh, what do you say, Chase? We shift gears for a little bit. Yes. Uh, do you have? Uh, do you have a sack? This I do. Week? I do have a sack. All right. Sack. Well, then let's uh, let's take a moment here. What do you say? I just can't. No, let's take no, a moment. No, I can. Let's take a moment and uh, let's go into your sack, Mister. So, Chase. so uh, as a as a short uh, program note, uh, we will not no, be no, here no, next no, week. No, 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 as a matter of fact, no, 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 uh, I'll be taking. No, no, yeah, no, sorry, no. sorry, Brock. Hey, hey, no, it's true. It's damn true. I won't be here next week. However, if something does break. Chris will probably yeah. jump in with, yeah. uh, with if, Noah. If there's, a, if there's a serious story, if there's one of those stories where you go, oh, man, I want to know what Unfilter has to say about this, like it's that level of story, we'll probably break in and do something. Otherwise, we're going to do some studio maintenance while Chase is out of town uh, and uh, reload our machine that crashes on us during yeah, Unfilter. The, if the we Crash-O-Matic 5000. If yes. we can. So, yeah, program, thank you for... I, we probably should have... We tried to mention that earlier. You can also... Uh, 
check uh, unfilter.show for just the latest episode if you don't see it there it hasn't come out yet unfilter.show is the official site but yeah so next week unless something major breaks which it always can and i might you know i might just jump on and just do a show dedicated to that and then uh you'll get some news but Yes. Otherwise, we're going to uh, do a little uh, reload because uh, we've been having some crashes during our most yes, recent shows. Yes, and uh, unfortunately, they've happened a lot during Unfilter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's time to reload some software in the absolutely. machine that we have to reload broadcast 24-7. But hey, I want to say big thanks to all you guys who support us over at Club 33 at patreon.com slash unfilter. Michael writes in and says, hey, guys, just want to let you know how much I appreciate shows like yours. Hello, it, everybody. It's tough times for me right now. Jazz music isn't the most lucrative business business, or I say Yaz music, uh, but the last cuts in my financial budget uh, will be your show and a small handful of others. Keep up the great work. I, I'll keep finding a means of supporting. Also, I was intrigued by a piece in the overtime last week regarding Sinclair Broadcasting, which led me to ask some other questions. As tech guys, who are clearly very, very media savvy, what do both of you think about the Communications Act of 1996 and its relevance today? Well, I think just overall, you've seen what happened to radio. You see these big, large media conglomerates, you know, wanting to expand. And they're just doing things that have been legalized. And it's one of those things where if you agree or disagree, it all comes down to, to voting, right? And uh, The Telecommunications Act of 1996. It allowed a, a lot of consolidation, a yep. lot of rules. Something and, that uh, Clinton signed, uh, yep. which is cited uh, for a lot of the mergers. So the, the takeaway with that whole Sinclair thing, too, is re, re, just remember that it's in the larger context of a bigger media consolidation trend that's been happening and a merger with a company that is the parent company of CNN. So there's a lot of dynamics at play with this whole Sinclair story that's been blowing up. And I think it's good overall to let people know, to get the people aware of what's going on in media and why, you know. This is why we all kind of just have are talking about the same thing, and it's all kind of bland these days. Yeah. I think it helps raise awareness to that. So yeah, absolutely. Hope, hopefully, yeah. yeah, you know, and this is where you know whether you agree or disagree, it, it comes down to who you vote for and what you yeah. believe in. And the argument sort of back in '96 was that the federal government shouldn't get in the way of the news business and preventing mergers prevented these news companies from doing things at a high efficiency scale that made it possible to serve markets that otherwise couldn't have high quality content. Yeah. So that was the original argument in 96 to for Bill Clinton to sign this thing. The rationale was, and, and it's a great line, the federal government should have no business in the news business. And the whole idea was we shouldn't be saying what you can and can't do, but you, you now you see where it's gotten us. It's yeah. just been horrible. Luke writes and says, hey, what's on my mind this week? Taxes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, yeah, and finally, uh, last but certainly not least, Veratuna chiming in as always, says, hey, so much going on where it's, where it's really hard to focus. Domestically, we have London's mayor knee-jerk reactions to tackling the 50-plus fatalities on the streets since the beginning of the year by perhaps putting a ban on all knife sales. Yeah, a lot of knife deaths. The Scrupo case seems to be collapsing with the papers clinging to the last hope, saying they may suffer long-term mental effects, including memory loss. Wishful hmm. thinking, given Yulia's phone call, which shows she's not only uh, remember herself, her father, and her cousin, but also her Russian is perfect. Speaking of which, odd that her cousin was prevented from coming to the UK to talk to her, but just another inconsistency in the whole farce. In Syria, we have all sorts of theatrics, including those by the White Helmets, 
The UN says they cannot determine even if there was a gas attack, let alone who did it. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. But that does not stop the U.S. and U.K. condemning Assad and threatening military action anyway. With Bolton in play, could this really lead to war? I do whine because I want to win. On the European front, though, there are some strange flip-flopping with the re-election of Orban UK, praising it Germany, and with Germany criticizing it. Either he, he is either a fascist leader or a friend to May. Take your pick. And finally, the world still doesn't seem any calmer. And if we hadn't had to worry about Korea or Yemen this week, that does not mean it is any safer either. You want to be a part of the sack? Are you in Club 33 yet? Head on over to patreon.com slash unfilter. You can get right into my sack every single week on the show. Stay woke! And to anybody who isn't in the sack but is an unfiltered supporter, yep. thank you so much. Very much. You guys keep us going every single week. Yeah, we've had slow take-up for the last few weeks, and uh, things are crazier, harder to track than ever in some ways. We definitely appreciate the support, patreon.com slash unfiltered. But I think Veritund is right. We need to chill a bit. Mommy needs a joint. And I was pretty impressed when I saw the CBS Morning News run this piece on CBD oil from cannabis. CBD's popularity has risen alongside the controversial legalization of marijuana. Doctors are recommending it, and many people are self-prescribing it. People with arthritis, MS, and lupus are turning to products like CBD-infused lotion to help manage their pain, while some rub it on their feet for a night out in heels. We took a look at the product's effectiveness and the growing business behind them. It's really just helped me get a hold of my gut issues. 26-year-old Jules Hunt is a New York-based wellness blogger. About two months ago, she started taking CBD oil once a day. You put it under your tongue. Hunt told us the oil, recommended to her by her doctor, helps her stomach problems and the anxiety that comes with them. What did you first notice when you started to use it? I think you start to feel the benefits over time, and then you realize, oh, wow, I slept a lot better that evening. I didn't wake up in a panic thinking about my long to-do list for the next day. It's a pretty good plug for CBD. Of course, they bring on your standard scientist who says, well, we don't know all of the effects of CBD because there hasn't been enough research yet. And, you know, because it's still illegal to get yeah. schedule one. Yeah, exactly. Right. But then they do cover, like, different kinds of products uh, besides, like, your typical candies. Company, Lord Jones. The company's wellness lotion is a customer favorite. They'll use it before a workout or after a workout for recovery. They'll use it for skin conditions from eczema to psoriasis to sunburn, headaches and neck aches, joint pain. We've had a steady growth. In Washington, D.C., celebrity chef Spike Mendelson is finding success with his CBD-infused water business. It's another plant. It's just wow. like matcha. It's just like a a coffee bean. It has just gotten a bad rap from marijuana. So I think it's going to be a good year for CBD products. There's going to be a push for regulation too, but as long as the market can withhold those headwinds, it's going to be a good, good year. And um, while the uh, U.S. market may still be figuring it out, them Canadians have already gotten hip to this. That's your would you Would you say oh. tragically hip? <laughs> Sorry, Canadian band. Uh, eh? We have yet one more indicator today showing just how strong and just how influential Canada's pot stocks are becoming. Cannabis companies have seen explosive growth over the past number of years. Now, in terms of volume, 
Some of those stocks have surpassed big blue chip companies like BCE and Manulife. Basically, more shares are changing hands more quickly, and that tells us, at least in part, it's no longer just retail investors like you. It gives us a sign that big institutional money of Bay Street is now pouring into the cannabis space. Oh, oh boy. It's coming, Chase. Big money is coming to cannabis in Canada. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Show it. Ooh. Show them the money. Well, you got to give people some pointers. If we're going to take next week off, they might they might need a little chase in their face. They might need to refresh their chaseness. Maybe if they're going to be in the California area and want to buy you a beer, I mean, could they tweet you? I mean, well, what, Chase? You know, Twitter is the best thing. Uh, you know, we have received uh, emails saying, hey, you're coming to San Francisco. Yeah, I'm going to be there one day next week. But hey, if you want to follow me on the Twitters, at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Nice. I'm, I'm the one that isn't a congressman. Chris. Huh? You're getting. You're going to be doing some updates. Maybe you'll tweet out some pictures. We got some Linux Fest stuff coming up too. We'll probably That's tweet right. about at Jupiter Signal for the there network at Chris LS for me, Chris L A S. And if you want to go to Linux Fest, LinuxFestNorthwest.org. Come hang out with Chase and I in Valenham, Washington. That'd be Should awesome, be really good. buddy. Yeah, Mr. Chase. Also, I suppose this would be a good moment to plug the old unfiltered calendar, JupiterBroadcasting.com/calendar, and of course our fancy new site, Unfilter.show. If you haven't gotten the new RSS feed, please do that. It's unfilter.show slash RSS. You just pop that mamma jamma into your favorite podcatcher of choice, and it'll pull down the Unfilter show for you. Super nice. Go get more Chase, too, over at geekgamer.tv. He's got the Discord, discord.gg slash geekgamer.tv. We've got the IRC, irc.geekshed.net, with a dedicated Unfilter chat room. I love that. Pound, hashtag. Pound? Or is it hashtag? It's Chris the same thing. Hash. Hash. No one knows the the star button Unfiltered. Anymore, right? No, I don't think so. Okay. Right, Asterisk. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for this week's episode of the Unfiltered Program. Assuming the world doesn't blow up, we'll see you back here in, in two, two weeks. weeks. Oh, and overtime's coming up, oh, so stay tuned for, for overtime. overtime. Yes. Overtime. See you, bye. <laughs> Don't hit that eject button just yet. There's more show coming up. A lot more show. It's the overtime. Thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter for supporting the overtime. Thank you to our two, yes, read them, two new patrons, Matthew and Riley, this week. It's been a slow, slow pickup the last couple of weeks. And this show is free, so you have no obligation to pay. But if in this past week a thought crossed your mind, I can't wait to hear what the guys say about this on Unfilter, or I'm going to learn more about that on Filter, or, geez, this week's Unfilter is going to be big. I bet they'll talk about this. If that thought crossed your mind, you're probably the very person we need supporting us. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you for your support. We appreciate it. This segment is dedicated to you. It's dedicated to you. 
and all of the future supporters and all of our current supporters over there at the Patreon, patreon.com slash unfilter. All right. I got to come clean with you guys. Couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't do a no Nancy this week. I just needed to take a break. Nancy and I need to see other news for a little bit. It's just, it's nothing personal. Actually, it's everything personal. It's it's not me. It's totally her. Um, but we're going to move on this week. And instead, let's talk about old Paul Ryan quitting. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Paul. I wanted to share with you a little of what I just told my colleagues uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, you realize something when you take this job. Oh. It's a big job with a lot riding on you, and you feel it. Hmm. Uh, but you also know that this is a job that does not last forever. It's funny, because it doesn't sound like you feel it. Uh, you realize that you hold the office for just a small part of our history, so you better make the most of it. Oh, man. It's fleeting. Yeah. Sure. And that inspires you to do big things. And on that score, I think we have achieved heck of a lot. You all know that I did not seek this job. I took it reluctantly. Uh, but I have given this job everything that I have. And I have no regrets whatsoever for having accepted this responsibility. This has been one of the two greatest honors of my life. The job provides incredible opportunities. But it, the truth is, it's easy for it to take over everything in your life. <laughs> and you can't just let that happen. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, old Paul, he's, uh, he's not going to go free election. He's going to go uh, live on an island with Trey Gowdy. What? No, that's, that's, uh, that's not true. Well, I don't know what it is, really, but uh, you got to wonder if maybe this is part of their strategy to win in 2018. Uh, let's, uh, let's do some follow-up. Let's do a batch of follow-up from last week, actually. Will Powers of just last hour concluded a meeting convened by Russia on the Skripal poisoning case. The Russian ambassador addressed the chamber for over half an hour, slamming the UK's claims of Kremlin involvement in last month's attack on the former double agent and his daughter. Let's speak cynically. Why did Russia wait eight years and decide to act two weeks before the election? That's a great question. And a few months before the World Cup. Also a great question. Why was he even released from the country in the first place? Yeah, especially when he was in jail. Why eliminate him in that strange and dangerous manner? The meeting was convened by the Russian Federation, and when the UN Security Council had gathered, the meeting opened with remarks by the Russian ambassador, in which he essentially said that Moscow is demanding answers. Oh. Uh, he pointed out that allegations were leveled against Russia just hours after the attack had taken place, and that those allegations are hard to believe, as neither Boris Johnson or Theresa May are chemical experts. He <laughs> Otherwise, there really hasn't been a lot of news other than their pets died. Uh, the victims' pets, um, the Russian embassy said, so what about their pets? Has anybody done anything with their pets? The government goes, check on it. Turns out, yeah, the pets were dead. It's kind of sad. Kind of sad. Now, we had heard rumors that perhaps secret negotiations had already begun between the U.S. and North Korea. And everybody said, that's crazy, because the moment that happens, Donald Trump would take to Twitter and talk about it. it turns out, not so crazy. We're learning new details tonight of secret direct talks between the United States and North Korea as the countries prepare for a summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. CNN's Brian Todd is working the story for us. So, Brian, you're getting some new information from your sources. Right, Wolf. Our sources indicate that preparations for this possible summit are much further along than many thought. 
Also tonight, we're getting word that Kim Jong-un has acknowledged his possible summit with President Trump for the first time publicly. We now have the first clear indications that a historic summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un may really happen. Chairing a meeting of the North Korean Workers' Party, Kim, for the first time, acknowledged the possibility of a meeting with Trump. According to his news agency, the dictator presented a, quote, in-depth analysis of possible talks between his regime and the United States. This comes as CNN is told by several Trump administration officials that the U.S. and North Korea have been holding secret, direct talks to prepare for a Trump-Kim summit. CIA Director Mike Pompeo has been leading the secret negotiations, according to CNN sources. Oh, actually, he runs the State Department now, or he's about to. I know, it's confusing. Try to keep up, CNN. Try to keep up. Director Mike Pompeo has been leading the secret negotiations, according to CNN sources, with U.S. and North Korean intelligence officials even meeting in a third country to nail down some details. Like China? We've been in touch with North Korea. We'll be meeting with them sometime uh, in May or early June. And I think there'll be great respect paid by both parties, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to make a deal on the denuking of denuking. North Korea. So secret talks, secret talks at a third-party country. Now, that is uh, part two. There's a three-part to our follow-up. Actually, no, that's not true. There's a four-part to our follow-up. Uh, let's go to the next part, and that's uh, a little Tucker at the risk of maybe too much Tucker this week. He makes a point that is particularly poignant when you realize this was made the day after the YouTube shooting. And it's his prediction that the media would abruptly stop talking about the YouTube shooting. That wasn't clear the day after. But if you look back now, it became clear the media just abruptly stopped talking about it. A shooting yesterday at YouTube's headquarters in California wounded three people but left only the shooter dead. The killer was an Iranian refugee named Nassim Agdam. Apparently, Agdam believed that YouTube's content policies had somehow sabotaged her efforts to become a digital video star. In rage, she drove to the company's headquarters and opened fire. That's what we know. Now let's pause for a moment and pretend this is not the 8 p.m. show on Fox News. Let's pretend it's somewhere else on the dial, maybe CNN or MSNBC or actually any other cable channel or newspaper in America. If that were true, by definition, we'd have to draw hard and fast conclusions from this tragedy using the limited fact set available. We don't really know much at this stage, but sweeping dumb generalizations are what the media do. So we would do that. And if <laughs> Did you catch that? So did you catch his little dig there? Uh, see if you catch it, because it's so great. Know much at this stage, but sweeping dumb generalizations are what the media do, so we would do that. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I just I just wanted to so soak that in for a moment and roll around in We it. don't really know much at this stage, but sweeping dumb generalizations are what the media do, so we would do that. And of course, we'd need a very specific script in order to make those generalizations. So what we conclude from what happened yesterday... Well, first off, the shooter was a woman. She was female. So clearly, America has a problem with toxic femininity. And we need to address that crisis right away, starting with more university panel shaming an entire gender. Somebody alert the HR department to this. He makes a fair point, though. It just went away because it doesn't fit within a certain narrative context. Uh, and I think that's a little disappointing. Uh, and I think fair enough for him to bring it up. Uh, and his prediction was right. He he did nail it. They didn't they didn't cover it after that. All right. So this is sort of the last piece of our follow up package here. Remember those FBI agents 
uh, Page and Strazik that were planning to uh, have an insurance policy against Donald Trump becoming president. I don't really remember what happened to them either. So it looks like Senator Rand Paul tried to find out. This is breaking news. New information about the FBI officials caught sending anti-Trump text messages during the 2016 presidential campaign. Senator Rand Paul asked that agency whether Peter Strzok and Lisa Page still currently have security clearances despite being, well, reassigned. He got a letter, and now he knows the answers. He's sharing it with us on Overtime today. Senator Paul, uh, obviously a, a member of the Foreign Relations Committee, you got this letter. What does it say? Well, it's interesting. You know, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page are enemies of President Trump. They were spending time at work trying to figure out how to keep him from being president. And if he were president, trying to have some sort of insurance policy to, I guess, prevent him from acting as president. And so we asked the question of the FBI director, do they still have top secret clearance? Can they search databases unrestricted without a warrant? And the answer we got was sort of a non-answer, but it's an interesting non-answer because they said all FBI agents have top secret clearance and must keep that. So if they're still FBI agents, which apparently they are, he means the, the non-answer yeah. specifically really is an answer. And it says that they can search our databases. And our point is a broader one here. We're concerned right. whether you don't like Trump or you don't like the Democrats. If you work for the FBI, you should have the oversight of a judge so you can't willy-nilly search, you know, an enemies list that you might have right. at work. No, it's a good thing we're uh, discussing that after the uh, FISA reauthorization. Hmm. And here's a little more. Let me see. Let me double check this. With us on overtime today. Yeah, I don't, we don't need to cover that. Uh, this is a second interview that he did about that. But I think you get the point. The point, I think, has been made. Did you hear about Backpage.com? Backpage.com, once worth $600 million, shut down by federal investigators after avoiding any kind of conviction for years. The online classified ad site has been accused of making sex trafficking possible. Whoever owns Backpage, he's got to go home at night and know that, you know, he's selling kids today. When I grow up, I'd like to be a doctor. Tom's daughter, who we'll call Natalie, was sold for sex at just 15 years old. He and his daughter told their stories to my colleague, Gloria Riviera. How many encounters do you think you had during that time? Over 150. Would that have been possible without Backpage? No way. Nightline. Did she sell herself, though? That's, they, they don't make that clear, do they? I want to go back just a bit because I didn't really catch that the first time I grabbed this clip. It, it, so she's pregnant, too. The daughter is pregnant. And they have, like, an outside shot of them at home. So she – was she sold by someone or did she sell herself? Because it's, a, like, a listings thing. Years old. He and his daughter told their stories to my colleague, Gloria Riviera. How many encounters do you think you had during that time? Over 150. Oh, yeah, Would that have been possible without Backpage? No way. Right, right, right. Nightline right. has been investigating Backpage for years. Carl <laughs> Ferrer? We tracked down former Hi, CEO Carl Ferrer in 2016, all the way in Amsterdam. You know, law enforcement tells us that underage girls are trafficked on Backpage.com, your company. He and other co-founders were arrested and charged with pimping in late 2016. A judge later dismissed all charges. But just today, the FBI went to the Arizona homes of founders Michael Lacey and James Larkin. Natalie's parents told us tonight the Justice Department got this one right. They spoke for the hidden and the abused today. Well, okay. If you sell yourself, though, 
Okay. All right. Well, we're not going to get into that, but that just seems like they didn't really make that clear enough. There's also something else that's not very clear that has me a little wigged out. I don't think your unfiltered program would fall under this, but it does make you wonder. I know it's made some of you wonder, too, because you sent this in to me. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security is recruiting staff to compile a database aimed at monitoring journalists around the world. Under the plan, the government will track more than 290,000 global news sources in more than 100 languages, including Chinese, Arabic and Russian. It will also focus on so-called influencers on social media. This comes at a low point in relations between the media and the Trump administration. The president himself has gone as far as calling it a war. As you know, I have a running war with the media. Fake news media or press. The crooked media. is a failing pile of garbage. It's fake. Fake. They are among the most dishonest human beings on earth. Well, the U.S. government's plan to monitor journalists has been met with widespread alarm. Maybe the Trump Homeland Security Forces would like dissidents to wear monitoring bracelets and submit themselves <laughs> oh, for tattoos, too. Cool. The Office of Homeland Security wants to dox all the journalists in the country. This isn't bad at all. When you have a president who has called the press the enemy of the American people, I think it's understandable for people to be concerned when DHS announces that they want to create a media monitoring platform. I like that uh, the Russian uh, accent, I guess, it sort of adds an extra flair to that read, doesn't it? <laughs> A little bit extra on that raid of FBI's uh, – the FBI raid on Trump's lawyer. A little more on that. We've learned it was the FBI's public corruption unit that raided President Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen. Sources tell CBS News the search warrants covered any evidence related to agreements Cohen made with adult film star Stormy Daniels and Playboy model Karen McDougal. They both claim they had affairs with Mr. Trump more than a decade ago. Major Garrett is at the White House. Major, good morning. Good morning. A, a source close to the investigation tells CBS News Daniels is cooperating with the Justice Department. President Trump remains livid about that FBI raid on his personal attorney Michael Cohen's offices. And within the president's inner circle, more scrutiny, negative scrutiny than ever, is being applied to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. And with that scrutiny comes increased anxiety about Rosenstein's job security. It's frankly a real disgrace. A day after President Trump framed the raid as an attack on the country, his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, said the FBI agents who conducted the raid were professional, courteous, and respectful. But he also <laughs> acknowledged he was worried about the investigation. Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general in charge of overseeing special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, approved the raids on Cohen's personal residence, hotel room, and office. Many people have said you should fire him. Monday night, President Trump suggested yeah. he may fire special Special Counsel Mueller, and on Tuesday, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said Mr. Trump believes he has that authority. Certainly believes he has the power to do so. By law, a special counsel can only be removed by the Attorney General, but Jeff Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation last March, leaving Rosenstein as the only one who could dismiss Mueller. In the Oval Office, the president ignored questions from reporters on who he might purge next. On Capitol Hill, a bipartisan group of senators is pushing for legislation to protect Mueller. But most Republicans don't think the president will go through with it. I don't think he's going to be removed from this office. 
Before those highly critical comments from the president came on Monday, he was advised internally at the White House not to vent his anger in public. He <laughs> did so anyway. And they just love it. And, and how, does, how does he know that? How does he know that Trump was advised not to vent his anger? Is that a leak? Is that a leak? Uh, so John Bolton's in the White House now. He's officially in, as you know. And he uh, he's, he's an interesting character, one that I've been studying more seriously now that he all of a sudden has a position of much more prominence. And there was a John Bolton moment that I found, I think, from two years ago. I might have that wrong, so don't quote me on that. Uh, it's a bad copy. But this is a clip of John Bolton reaffirming that lies and being a liar is an asset to the neoconservative agenda, to the war agenda, and to the security of the United States, being a proud liar. It's being revealed. Now, I want to make the case for secrecy in government when it comes to the conduct of national security affairs and, and possibly for deception where that's appropriate. You know, Winston Churchill said during World War II that in wartime, truth is so important it should be surrounded by a bodyguard of lies. Do you really believe that? Absolutely. You, you would lie in order to preserve the truth. If, if I had to say something I knew was false to protect American national security, I would do it. I don't think we're often faced with that difficulty. But would I lie about where the D-Day invasion was going to take place to deceive the Germans? You better believe it. Why do people in the government think that the rules of society or the laws don't apply to them? Because they are not dealing in the civil society we live in under the Constitution. They are dealing in an anarchic environment internationally where different rules apply. There is the self-rationalization framework that they're all operating on. That's the shared framework, why they're able to sidestep the Constitution, why they, can, why they can say they're doing this to protect America, because they're operating in a different playing field than you are, citizen. They're on the international playing field where there are no rules. Of course, what they don't realize is in that very thinking, they mean there are, that by its very nature means there's no rules here now, you see, or no rules that matter. The rules still exist, but they don't matter anymore, which is even worse. But they don't they don't see that. In an anarchic and civil society, we I'll go back a little don't bit. apply to them because they are not dealing. In and you know, what? he leans in and he goes with the two hands and he's making dead eye contact with the judge. There is zero moment. He knows there's zero pause. He knows exactly what he thinks about this. And he's ready to lean in and tell you about it. I mean, he's super intense with his answer. Rules of society or the laws don't apply to them. Because they are not dealing in the civil society we live in under the Constitution. They are dealing in an anarchic environment internationally where different rules apply. Oh. But you took an oath to uphold the Constitution. And the Constitution mandates certain openness and certain fairness. You're willing to do away with that in order to achieve a, a, a temporary military goal? And I think as Justice Jackson uh, said in a famous decision, the Constitution's not a suicide pact. But you took an oath to it. That, that's exactly right. And I think defending the United States from foreign threats uh, does require actions that in a normal business environment in the United States we would find unprofessional. Yeah, I don't make any apology for it. I prefer... Yeah, so that's the uh, self-rationalization framework that they are using to do things like bomb Syria or send in uh, an armed terrorist. 
So uh, that's that's and that's from 2010. I apologize. That's I, I did see that in, in the in the clip. It's from 2010. Uh, that's good old Warhawk John Bolton. Still the same old hawk. I do love me some Sarah Sanders Smackdowns. Those are some of my favorite. And here she fires back at April Ryan for what she calls a ridiculous question. I can't help myself. I just it's these are like popcorn for me. With all of this turmoil, particularly this last week, has the president at any time thought about stepping down before or now? Uh, no, and I think that's an absolutely ridiculous question. Oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It just, and you know, they they just uh, they just keep trying, anyways. Okay, so I don't know. There's something about this next clip. Tell me if you guys sense it. It's like um, it feels a little, um, you know, hypey. How strange is it for you to sit here and compare the president to a mob boss this Sunday night on ABC? The things that you know but haven't said that could damage President Trump, James Comey, and to those who say you should have brought Hillary Clinton before a grand jury. Exclusive interview everyone will be talking about. Was President Trump obstructing justice? Should Donald Trump be impeached? Stephanopoulos, Comey, this Sunday night at a special time, 10 9 Central on ABC. I don't know. Could definitely use some more hype. Eh? Keep an eye out for that one. See you next week.